Hello and welcome to, I think this is episode 11 of IRC Book Club. This is take about 390. Yeah, we've had a little bit of a technical problem today. Uh, the camera that we normally use is broken, so you're only getting one single camera angle today. I can we're... turn side on if that would help the viewers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Profile shot. So we're, we are a very determined bunch. We've gone to some alternate kit. It's now recording and we're here. So welcome to IRC Book Club, the show where every week we deconstruct two or three chapters of a famous business or sales book. Um, if you like what you're watching and you're enjoying what you're watching and hearing and listening to, maybe you're listening to this via the audio version on the podcast. If you like it, hit the like button, hit the share button, tell your friends. Um, that way we know it's worth creating the content. Mike, we're on chapters 14, 15 and 16. We're finally at the business end, as Sir Alex Ferguson would say, of You Can't Teach a Kid to Ride a Bike at a Seminar by David H. Sandler. How was it for you? Um, I always get to the end of these things and I think to myself, am I glad I read it? The answer is yes. Right. Have I learnt lots of stuff? No. Okay. I could have learnt the Sandler submarine, but I don't think he's a very good... Uh, system, metaphor, whatever. I think it's okay. But, like a lot of things, it's a useful refresher. As I said a few times, I think this book was written quite a long time ago, actually. A bit dated. Yeah, and but because of that, what that actually means is that we've heard a lot of the content of this time and time and time again. For all I know, David Sandler said it first, but I've heard it through lots of other sources subsequently. And therefore it feels dated. Not as dated as the book I'm reading on NLP at the moment by a lady called Sue Knight. Who, Sue, if you're watching, hi, looking forward to meeting you on Monday. Um, there is a chapter in Sue Knight's book on NLP where she does this big preface to the, to the chapter all about what a great guy Lance Armstrong is. Ha! Brilliant. <laughs> and I've proper sat in my car, frankly, wetting myself, laughing. And I felt a bit for her, really, because she's really sort of hammed up about what a great champion he was and how he set an example and how he made decisions and had certain beliefs. And you're thinking, no, nah, mate. So anyway, yeah, that, that, that's my little point on dated books. The first chapter we're going to talk about today is chapter 14. It's entitled Fulfill the Contract and Let the Prospect Close the Sale. The, the thing I wrote straight away, and something's been grating on me with the books we've read. We're on the, the back end now of two back-to-back -back sales books. Um, well, and I've well, worked out what's been bothering me, Pricey. Go on. What's bothering me is that particularly the Sandler book, he talks a lot about this being a book for the non-salesman, the, the, a, a text that's for the reluctant sales professional, right? Now, my experience is that the biggest weakness that the reluctant sales professional has is actually getting himself in front of a client. Yeah, 100%. And the thing that... I, I, I've not been able to work out what's been bothering me either about this or the Jordan Belfort book, but it finally came to me... Belfort about, addresses that a bit more, in fact. He does. He gives it a little bit more credence and a little bit more weight. The bit that's bothering me is there's just not enough attention given to booking an appointment. Well, we need to read a different book, don't we, for that? Yeah. Like the Fanatical Prospecting book or something like that, maybe, which is based around that telesales thing. I'd say something that I've always thought in our market. I hear it quite often when interview candidates that they'll go... Oh, I'm too highly paid to be a telesales person, or whatever, whatever the phrase yes, is. Yes, I, I, I'm. Uh, and I I'm too to myself, senior a guy to to sit here and make a cold Because I tell you what, the guys that earn 300k don't say that. No, they say whatever. I've got, what I've got to do to make 300k? Yes, correct. That that's the difference, isn't it? 100. Yeah. percent I, I, I'm on too big a package to to dial out all day. I did that in my twenties. 
Yeah, right. Whatever. Well, maybe you should be doing it now. Yeah, may maybe that's why you're not earning any bonus now. Correct, yeah. So, yeah, so I mean, that's a different more. thing. But, that, but in fairness, this book doesn't say to address that, though. That's not... And, and he, he, then he, he opens the chapter with, unfortunately, many salespeople freeze at just the thought of delivering a presentation. To avoid that problem, I stress the importance of practising the fulfilment step as frequently as possible. I, I wrote, if you freeze at the thought of delivering a presentation, you're possibly in the wrong career. 100%. That isn't the first thing I picked out, actually. On the in the first paragraph, he goes, da -da -da, the prospect always appears to be in control of the sales process and therefore doesn't hesitate to close the sale if the contract has been clearly defined. Now, I like that, actually. I think that's very Miller-Hyman-esque, which is my favourite book, really. I think that what he's saying here is, so long as the, you've been through the parts of the submarine or so long as you've qualified that the prospect that the solution's right for the prospect, the sale will close itself. Yeah. Now, I don't want to take it away from, we need to hire closers. But actually, you know as well as I do that if the salesperson is taking radical action too far along in the sales process, they normally haven't done the upfront bit correctly. And I did like that. The next um, paragraph, however, I hated, really. And he said, and then it's off to the bank. Yeah, you don't like that, do you? you I find really that hate bit... that. I just think to myself, he's talking about you know, being a good, honest broker and all the rest of it. And then, then you get this image of him sort of rubbing his hands. And now I'm off to the another, bank with your money. Another prospect nailed with Yeah, that. and It I, feels and a I, bit, Glenn... The, 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 well, I actually wrote later on, and I'll come back to it. There was a point this morning. Audience, uh, uh, the, those of you who don't know, I like to get up at ridiculous o'clock and read. Um, when I was reading this morning, I wrote, all feels a bit Shelley Levine in Glengarry Glen Ross, this. So do you know the, the character? That's the character played yes, by the Jack Lemmon. Yes, the Ross film is so boring. I urge anybody <sighs> not to watch Glengarry Glen Ross. Please, come on, Pricey, help me out. It's one of the best films ever. But the, the other thing that I didn't like um, was in, in Fulfill the Contract and Let the Prospect Close the Sale. There's a, there's a, a page here on my page 213. It's not your page 213. No, no, no. I'm a, I'm a one where he gives a whole script about the beginning of the pitch. And actually, I loved it, um, how he talks about qualifying, the, about how you preface the, the whole presentation. And then he gets to this bit that really annoyed me, where I just thought, if I did that with a client, I'd get thrown out of a door. It says, so the, the, the context is, he, he goes, so, OK, John, you've also told me that you budgeted £5,000 this year to help you solve the problem. I, wrote, I circled the same bit. You've circled the same chap. You've circled exactly the same paragraph. Yeah, yeah. We don't want. We don't want to spend all this time together, John. And then you say someone else needs to be involved in the decision, or you need to think it over. Should we spend a little bit more time talking about that? Brackets. You might be pushing it, but it's better to talk it out now than to go through the fulfilment step for nothing. What he means by the fulfilment step is having gathered the client's needs and understood what the client's looking for during the course of the meeting. What he's referring to is making a pitch in relation to the client's pain and needs. I think you'd just get turfed out of a lot of meetings doing that. Yeah, I, I wasn't a fan of that. But if I just go back a little bit, actually one of the, sub, uh, the subheadings is structure the presentation. Like a good mystery novel, fulfilment should include a beginning, a middle and an end. Yeah. I've got to tell you, you know, we see a lot of presentations that candidates put together and that kind of thing. A lot of them just waffle on. Well, actually something that frustrates me is a lot of them don't gather needs and then present oh, to the needs. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And, and, and if you get nothing out of this book other than build rapport, build rapport, dig for some pain, and then explain how you can solve the problem, 
Yes, but you know, you could have written that in a page, couldn't you? Yeah, uh, I think that you've probably got quite a lot out of it. Then he um, go, go on then. And, and then he talks about, there was a bit here, um, it, there's a really interesting bit here, page, my page 215, he says, don't be afraid to abort. Well, I put that, but, but what did you put? Because I put, what about the pendulum? Well, actually, I'm going uh, to explain my point. He says, if you suspect your prospect isn't being honest with you, or if for some reason you believe you're getting the runaround, such as being asked to email your presentation to people who are supposed to be on hand to make a decision, simply abort your presentation. Well, Sarah, based on what you've said, I don't see any sense in continuing. Begin to pack up and leave. If that's what Sarah prefers, she's going to let you go. In that case, you're better off moving on to the next real prospect. If your presentation starts going down the wrong track, for whatever reason, abort. Live to sell another day. Now, I'm going to give you an example here, and I'm, this is a real-life example. Earlier on in the year, I got involved in a tender process that I just shouldn't have got involved in with a company called Emis. <laughs> um, and I actually, my gut all the way through when it first came to me was not to go for it in my heart. Yeah. I just knew in my heart, you weren't invited early enough, don't go for it, don't do it. What are you doing all the way along? And I couldn't work out why there was so much tension in my mind as I was working away on it. And I remember I sat on a train home from London one night. I spent two and a half hours, got home at 11 o'clock, got the next morning, 5 a.m., finished my presentation. I turned up on the day of the presentation. The people who were meant to be there on the day of the pitch weren't there. And they sent two lackeys to sit through the presentation. And Muggins here, who rates himself as a top sales guy, did the presentation on the day. Now, actually, he's bang right. I should have turned around and said, and actually, I should have had the nuts to say, listen, guys, I'm sorry, but you aren't the people I agreed to come present to today, so I'm going home. Oh, you'd have lost anyway. I'd have lost anyway, but I'll tell you what, I'd have been two, two hours of my time better off, and, my self and, my, and most importantly, my pecker would have stayed up, my self-esteem would have stayed up, instead of standing there pitching to two people who, deep down in my heart, for an hour and a half, I knew were never even going to relate how great a solution we had for Emis to the people, powers that be, and that the decision had already been made. And I might have, I might have been as well, running down the streets of Farsley naked. It was a total waste of my time, and I allowed myself to waste my time. So I actually think that's a really great advice. I think that's sage advice. Yeah, but your, your example is different to his. He's saying the decision maker's in the room. In your example, the decision maker wasn't in the room. No, there was no, there were no decision makers. So it's slightly different. Lauren, context. are we still recording here? Are you sure? Yes, we are. Good. Oh, this is uh, we've got our, uh, our media assistant. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to introduce our new colleague, Lauren Gardner, who is now. This is our the first recording, and we're thinking, hang on a minute, Lauren, if this is going to come off, on, Lauren. Chuck the book at you. Um, so, Lauren is here to do social media marketing and PR with the business, and she is now overseeing this recording, and she will and be upping our production game over the course of the and next few weeks. And you skipped past a bit, actually, Jonathan, the what's in it for me. I mean, I circled that as, as, as a really key part that I think, you know, clients and prospects all sat there asking themselves. Yeah, 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 I really like that. that that's it. The prospect isn't interested in you. Prospects are always concerned about how you can make their pain disappear. Uh, to keep that singular focus, imagine that you see the question, what's in it for me, imprinted on the prospect's forehead. Really good, that. You know, that's great advice to a young salesperson, isn't it? Mm, mm, 100%. Um, you know, what do they get? What do they get? What do they get? The next bit I do, looked at was the thermometer close, where All he right. says, John, we've covered a lot of ground so far, and there's still more to show you, but on a 0 to 10 scale, 0 meaning you have no interest in my service, 
and 10 meaning you've already decided by my service, where are you? I don't think that's a close, actually. I think that should be the thermometer qualifier. But nonetheless, I like the concept of it. Yeah, and close to me is, OK, here's what we'd like to do. I'd like now to close ask to me you... Is, do you want to buy it, John? Yeah, I'd like to now ask you. I'd like to, so, like to organise for us to sort this out. Do you want to buy it? Yes or no? That's a close. But this, but this is the... It should have been called the thermometer qualifier. But I did like it, because how long have we been saying to prospective candidates... On a scale of plus five to minus pies, plus five being you've just got the company tattoo on your arm, minus five... Being, get bit, me the hell out of here. Where do you sit? We've yeah. been, you know, been saying that for ten years, and I, did, and I did like that. I, I did write something, though, and, and I, maybe I was just grumpy when I got up this morning. I wrote, this technique, that technique, I feel like I'm watching Jack Lemon in Glengarry Glen Ross. I said, I'm not averse to the thermometer technique, but there are so many techniques. I think I said it last week. I feel like this is a golf bag with 64 golf clubs in it. Um, I might, I might need them tomorrow. <laughs> on our IRC golf day, 64 golf clubs with eight rescue clubs and four different putters. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, I agree, but we've got to look at each thing in context. Then he asks a lovely question. It goes on, trails on for a bit like he normally does. But then he says, what would you like me to do now? Thank you. Good question, that. What would you like me to do now? What would you like me to do now? I just saying that opposite a prospect. That's a great question. I'm going to say that's one of my prospects. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm being finickety. I, I, I'd be more tempted to be more directive. I suppose. Yeah, I, but you've not read hit, the... Where I'd be a little bit more, here's what I suggest we do now. I'll get the paperwork drawn up and you sign it. Fair enough. And then the final bit on this chapter that I really did like and I, and I, and I agreed with tremendously is he wrote here, there are no bad prospects, only bad salespeople. If you get this far along in the process and somehow end up not getting the deal, rest assured it's because you missed something along the way. Don't be a victim. Don't rationalise what happened. Don't blame the lost sale on a prospect's personality or actions. Don't blame your team. Don't blame your presentation software or your website. Don't allow yourself to get caught up in the that guy wouldn't buy from anyone syndrome either. Do assume full accountability. Whatever is happening in your relationship with a prospect or customer, whether it's looking like success or looking like failure, is your responsibility. You can never control what happens on the other side. All you can control is your own attitude, behaviour and techniques. And I, I thought, that for me is probably one of the biggest gold nuggets in the book. Yeah, I mean, I like it. Yeah, I, how, I, how many, I, I don't think that's in my book, actually. How many candidates do we meet whose careers are in an absolute tailspin? And when you sit down in oh, an it's interview... it's all somebody else's fault. And you sit down in an interview with them, room with them, and you ask them, so what's happening for you that's got you thinking of looking for something new? And the answer is, the software's not right, my boss is an arsehole, uh, I can't get any decent leads, and there's a million reasons why they've not hit target as opposed to the key one, which is, I'm not performing. I do interview and, people that say and that Every sometimes. now and then you meet a guy that looks you in the eye and says, well, actually, I've performed badly this year. Do you know, I'm sending a guy to an interview. I met he, one the other week. He's had one first interview this week and he's got two next week. And that was his answer. I mean, I've known him for a long time, so maybe he was very honest. Yeah. And maybe part of that is about our ability to build sufficient rapport, warmth, depth and trust. But, but the point uh, is, that's what that yes, guy said correct. in the interview. And the first interview he's had this week... When I took the client feedback, the client went, da, da, da. he said, the thing I really liked about Mike, he was really honest. I said, what? And he said, he'd tell, he said he told me why he'd, uh, why he'd left the company. Yeah. And he said, everybody's sat for a reason, Mike. At least he's Correct. been the first one that's been honest about it. I, I met a fellow the other week whose track record was superb. And in, uh, it, it transpired during the course of the interview, actually. 
he slipped through my initial qualification letter. It transpired during the course of the interview that he's actually probably going to keep his head down for a month or two and see if he can sort it out. And he, he was really clear. He said, I, 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 it took me a while to get going. I was a bit off my game at the start of the year. I was a bit poorly. Uh, I, I was a bit down in the dumps. I was feeling a bit sorry for myself. I didn't like the fact that they'd moved me around a little bit onto a new patch. By the time I'd sort of got my head back in the game and got motivated, I was already a quarter behind target. Everything back ends into the final few quarters of final few months of the year the reality is it's my fault I kind of left it a bit late I've got a few deals if I win them I'm going to be a hero but if I don't I'm going to be out and that's going to be my fault yeah top and stuff. I thought that's why you're a top guy so next chapter then chapter 15 so what have we got in chapter 15 price don't, don't let Ayers remorse sink your sail I like that that's a good start for me yeah good start that yeah Good start. I mean, it's a very simple chapter. I know it's simple because I didn't actually write that many notes. I mean, I wrote at the top of page, my page 225, I'm just not feeling this. But I did get the point about bias remorse. Well, that's my point. You know, he, he spends pages telling me stuff that he's so blindingly obvious. Well, we agreed last week, didn't we, that he writes one good chapter and then one padding chapter and then one useful yeah, chapter. Yeah, yeah. I, I think some of these linguistics for a salesperson are absolutely terrible. Yes. You wouldn't cancel because of the change we agreed upon, would you, Steve? Yes, I mean, linguistically. Unless, unless he's trying really to bleed that out. Uh, there we are, that's chapter over. That's the only thing I wrote about chapter I mean, 15. it's really short. Yeah, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's incredibly short. Um, but what I, I think what you've got to get out of this is... I think he's written four or five pages where actually he could have written one line which said, when you've got to the close... Give it a minute, and before you go, make sure you say to the client again before you leave, listen, you sure you're all right with this? And it, uh, that, Actually, that's the whole chapter, isn't it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I'm going now. I'm going to get the train back to Leeds. Are you sure you're all right with this? Is there anything else you want to ask me? Are you sure? Now's your chance. If you're not sure, say so now. Yeah, yeah I agree. And that's really his point, isn't it? Yeah, but he waffles to, on. To invite some buyers' remorse. And then, I mean, chapter 16... I didn't enjoy this. I mean, I wrote a few things. I mean, I mean, I'll tell you what I really thought about it. It was just really poor amateur psychology. There are so well, many books that well, are so much better than this. Interesting. Because I didn't enjoy it, but there was one bit that I thought was great. Oh, I know which bit you'll have liked. Hang which... on a minute. I'll put a note next to it. Put a note next to it. So, look. So, just to explain, viewers and listeners... Chapter 16 is getting the angle on success in which our author gives us 200 from page 229 to page 247. He gives us that sort of 15, however many pages on effectively a very boiled down version of some mediocre pop psychology on how to sort of fire yourself up to be a good salesman. A large amount of which was really rubbish, wasn't it? Loads um, of it. Really poor. It, you know, and I'm Be a self-starter. Courage is an action word. Yeah, and then he sort of goes on about how glib um, motivational He's... techniques can be glib, and, and a lot of this is a bit glib. But, please may I point out, there was a couple of bits in here I thought were excellent. One exercise in particular um, that I, I just thought was superb, and I'll just find it now. It's, here we go, that he does this exercise... It's time to live a little, that one. thought it was excellent, that. He calls it the lifeline. And he talks about drawing a horizontal line on top of a piece of paper with B at the left edge 
of the line and letter D at the right edge of the line. Uh, and then above B, write your year of birth. And then this next assignment is a bit unusual, but take your time, follow through, please. Above the D, write your, the year of your death. There's no way to know the year, of course, but take a guess. Perhaps you've thought about the age at which you'd like to die. Go ahead, note the right year above D. Now find your present age on the lifeline market with a P. Um, if you plan to live to be 100 and you're now 50, you place the letter P in the exact middle of the line. Your lifeline would look like this. I thought that as a coaching exercise. I've got to tell you, I thought that was great. Did you do it? I didn't. You can't thought it was that good then. I didn't because I'm not in that place where I need that coaching. And then basically saying, after you've drawn your lifeline, take an inventory of where you are now on a blank sheet of paper, set up columns with the following headings, work, family, spiritual, financial, self, personal health, social and education. I mean, that's a classic coaching exercise yeah, that you yeah. would do in a life coaching situation. But I'll tell you what, you know, that's good. I like that. Okay. I thought that was a nice take on that exercise. A sort of a slightly alternate take to what a lot of coaches would refer to as the wheel of life. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. Um, under the title, what motivates you? I also liked the birdcage challenge. I, I thought that was very you. Where you write a goal on a piece of paper, fold it up, put it in your pocket. I, di I, I, I didn't. I wasn't a fan of it, really. And I tell you my it says a guy is, who walks in every morning and writes his goals in his day, in his day planner. And I have done for 10 years. And has done for 10 years and never, ever, ever, ever fails to do it. Well, I'll write it tomorrow morning on my way to the golf thing. Who writes it in his, in his book with a pencil, not with a pen. <laughs> because he <laughs> yeah. does it with a pencil and it looks the same. He writes his affirmations every morning. I, did, I, tell, I tell you what I didn't like about it, though, is this chapter is a very poor version of some very good books. Oh, yeah. This verse has awakened the giant within. Yeah. I, I, and I, I was reading it thinking, oh, come on, that's so watered down and poor. You know, let's get it right. The guy's walking about um, one, of my, one of SSI's top four producing franchises who sells more than a million dollars of products every year does, in fact, get up before dawn every day and take a cold shower. Why? Because he says a cold shower wakes him up. However, he also says the cold shower is symbolic of winning. He could wimp out, he explains. Take a comfortable hot shower. Or could immediately jump into the winner's circle by taking a cold shower. Yeah, well, if you listen to Jock... I don't know if anybody ever listens to the Jocko Willink podcast. Um, great book. Jocko Willink writes a book called Discipline Equals Freedom. He's an ex-Navy SEAL, and he sort of cashed in on the whole, I was a Navy SEAL, and I'm really tough. Kind of... You know, he's, even his voice sounds like that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And Jocko Willink, a lot of what he talks about is discipline equals freedom. And you, to be fair, Mike, one of the biggest advocates I know of discipline equal, equaling freedom and I think what he's alluding to is in that particular point in the book is have a discipline doesn't matter what your discipline is doesn't matter what, whether it's a what does it shower. say on my page under the birdcage challenge you'll be able to read my writing it's quite neat rubbish <laughs> maybe I didn't recognise it as been me but I wasn't I wasn't fond of but, that you know as, as a colleague that's known you for a long time I would say probably the underpinning architecture of what makes you a good guy is your self-discipline yes it is but so all right so maybe we're missing the point here i think i i think that sandler misses the point on what's discipline in that because because well, i think what sandler does is sandler makes is trying to advocate people doing really old-fashioned things just to prove that to themselves that they can do it 
Are you honestly telling me that taking a cold shower is going to make you sound? Well, actually, there's a very, very populist movement at the moment into cold treatment and cold showering and actually taking icy cold showers and icy cold baths. In fact, Tony Robbins is the biggest proponent of really? cold therapy. And Tony dives every morning into a plunge pool that he has specifically made in his house that is ludicrously cold. <laughs> right, okay. And that apparently a, a, a large part of it is the mental self-discipline of being able to get up in the morning and force yourself into a, a cold, nasty, horrible moment. And B, um, it apparently has huge hormonal and restorative effects. Well, good for him. I'll tell you what I think about the whole book, because there's not much more to talk about in Chapter 16. There's I not, is think. there? Is I think the book has got some very good parts in it. Whether you, whether you want to do the Sandler submarine or not, he's got a process that I can see working. I thought his actual sales structural stuff, I liked a lot of it. I thought the psychology of the salesperson that exists within it, where he tries to add his bit of psychology to it, it's absolute utter garbage, all of it. There's loads of it in it. It's just rubbish. It's a well, waste. Well, he, he tells us that he's going to give us a, a take on transactional analysis. That there is no, nothing in this book to do with transactional analysis. Well, I've not read really, Apart from the about. I and the R. There's no, that, enough, that's it. I mean, I, I quite liked a lot of it. The key question, of course, Jonathan, is if you gave, if you could find, two of the exact same people, so we cloned somebody, and we gave them this book and Jordan Belfort's book. Who would end up being the better salesman? In computer software. Ooh, what a wicked question. So I get the same salesman and I get to basically get two of them. They're both, like on they're that both selling. Show, that, that Netflix they're show, both selling Microsoft altered, So, like on that Netflix show, Altered Carbon. Yeah. Really good show that. Um, so I get two versions of the same human being. One gets trained by Jordan Belfort, one gets trained by Sandler, and they both get to sell exactly the same product for the same company with the same leads. Whew. Who's going to win? Who's going to win? Or, or to ask the question differently... I think the Jordan Belfort guy. Oh, fair enough, I mean, I agree. To ask the question differently then, so Isabel, your daughter, is 16... Uh, when she's 21, five years down the line, she'll have had a brilliant education and then she'll decide she's going to become a salesperson. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, which book should I read, Dad? I'd start with How to Master the Art of Selling by Tom Hopkins. But that's not... It's, we're talking Sandler versus Belford. Oh, Jordan Belford. All right. And then, and then my last question is... I think is, he provides more immediate structure. And then my last question is... If Belford went and sold seminars, uh, or sales training, yep. and Sandler went and sold hooky stock, <laughs> who'd sell the most? Jordan Belfort. And that annoys me about it. You know why that annoys me? Because I 100% think you're right. And I threw the Jordan Belfort book in the bin, but I'm going to keep this on my shelf. But that's my point. And i tell you what this is to me. This is a bit of the emperor's new clothes. In as much as... Everybody goes on about Sandler's a game-changer, Sandler's a game-changer. I just didn't think it was. There's a, I've taken a couple of takeaways. I, I have started using the reverse. But more than anything, I think that whole concept of reverse has just made me qualify my objections it's more. It's stuff you already knew. I'm just qualifying my objections it's more It's stuff deeply. you already knew. Yeah, I'm qualifying And, that, and that's what I found about the book. I thought to myself, 
I expected, because let's get it right, some of the people that are referring this book to me, they are top, top, top people who I've got an awful lot of time for. Let's get it right. One advanced to use this as a set training methodology. You know, Paul, Paul Bosson's been there 20 years, top May guy. I interject. He's a chief exec, top guy. Page 263 in the appendices, we finally get introduced Appendix B. Oh, I didn't read I didn't To the them. Sandler Enterprise Selling Programme. Right. Now, actually, maybe we've read the wrong book. Maybe there's a book on Sandler Enterprise Selling, at which point you've got my attention. I just felt this was very tactical. If I sold food to schools, you know, my, my mate Rhino Pete, he sells... What have you watching, Rhino Pete? No. Hey, Rhino. Uh, uh, Rhino Pete sells food to schools. I take it he's a rhinoceros whose name no, is Peter. No, he's a Leeds Rhino's fan. Ah, right. Um, okay. <laughs> great book for you. You know, very tactical, opening up a new account. You try to take food a food supply account off the off the guy that was there two hours before you, or you know my mate Gav who sells glasses lenses. I think this is good. Yes, I think it's useless to an enterprise sales guy, um, and I, I think it's missing, as with many of these sales books, the fundamental number one point, which is getting an appointment. Maybe what we ought to do, and this is coming to particularly my head. in our modern technology world, where as I've said before there is the opportunity to make a puppy dog sale. I think actually the differentiator between a lot of the top guys now in a SaaS-based software world is not necessarily your ability to manipulate the deal. It's your ability to get in front of a client and get to pitch in the first place. Yeah, I agree. But also, I think, to outwit your competition. Yes, then outwit the competition. Because there's, there's nothing in Particularly, for example, if you were selling Dynamics. Dynamics and the next guy, uh, Well, I'm selling there's Dynamics. And the next salesman through the door is selling Dynamics. And the next guy through the door is selling dynamics. Yeah, exactly. I, I think what would be an interesting thing to do, if I could be bothered to do it, which I can't, is to look at the components of the sales funnel, one of which is the generation of an appointment, which is telesales effectively or marketing, but telesales anyway. Then is the tactical one-on-one -on -one of the first appointment. Then is the strategic side of, man of managing the campaign. This falls into that middle category of initial tactical what's happening to get the objective out the door. Yeah, and actually, that's I don't. Where it, that's where it sits. And, and actually, I don't. I find if you look at a lot of the people we work with who come to us for support and help in their careers, often if you look at one of the key reasons why they might be struggling at some point, often it's because actually they are not focusing enough on that tactical one to one sales call. And that they're too focused on the complex strategy and not thinking hard enough about the tactic. Well, I always use your wife as the best example, because I think your wife's sales strategy is... Just fucking close. Well, more than that, actually. It's meet as many people as possible. Don't really worry too much about their interrelationships, but make sure every single one says yes to me, and then I'll get a sale. Yeah. That's what she does, I think. Yeah, because get people to say yes. Just get, it'll, oh, everybody you get... It'll all come, get it'll come yes. good come the end. And I, don't, I don't think that's a bad strategy, actually. No, it's not. But anyway, okay. so, so that's so, that one. overall, um, yeah... It was a good book. Next week, we will be starting with The Effective Executive by Peter Drucker. Do I have a copy here? I don't know. Your microphone's fallen off or something's gone red. I think my mic just fell off. Let's have a look, see if I've got the copy here I have. I'm just going to move over to... Uh, it's in my bag, actually. Pick it up. Oh, have you got it? So next week, we're on the... There's far too much light coming into this room whilst we've been uh, shooting it's this. sunny now in the afternoon the, in Leeds. Yeah, very sunny. The Effective Executive by Peter Drucker. Um, 
It is apparently a seminal work on personal productivity. Um, in, in terms of organization, personal productivity, and so on, I, I think it could be a really interesting one. If it's absolute garbage and not relevant to our audience, I'll know by Monday and I'll change it. Um, but by all accounts, only the, the, the read-up on the back of the book says, and are we all right here, Lauren, for audio and everything? Only executive effectiveness can enable this society of ours to harmonise its two needs. The need of the organisation to obtain from the individual the contribution it needs and the need of the individual to have organisation serve as his tool for the accomplishment of his purposes. Effectiveness must be learned. So we're, we're, we're leaving sales technique more for personal effectiveness, organisation. Part of the component of the salesperson. It's an extremely important component part Definitely. of the salesperson. Um, and I think we're going to probably give some of the sales books a rest because I'm all sales books out now. I think if we're going to go back to another sales book, I'd like to do something perhaps more strategic before we go back to another. I think you've got a straight up look at a different text. end of the funnel to those two that which we've done. So you've either got, either got or the strategic go to, part or the top of it, the canvassing part. Or, or we go to the real top of the funnel, maybe as one in a few in a few months time. But we'll, we'll pick that up. Ah. So mm. if you want to read along with us. It's The Effective Executive by Peter Drucker. Peter Drucker, he is, you know, if you go to business school, it's got four by Jim Collins, who wrote Good to Great. Um, Jim Collins is another great business thinker. Peter Drucker is a, a legendary business thinker. Um, you know, sort of Harvard Business Review, bloody bloody blah, blah, blah. So could be interesting, could be blinding. The good news, everybody, is it's only 123 pages long, so we could smash this in two weeks. How many chapters is it? And the letters are big. Oh, Let's good. have a look. Oh, the good news, Pricey. You're going to love this. Loads of seven chapters in entirety. So, 134 pages over seven chapters. Therefore, uh, you know, over six weeks we can do 20 pages a week. Over three weeks we can do 40 pages. So I'm going to suggest we do this in three sections. Okay, I'm in. Right. Cool. So we're going to do this over three sections starting next week. So this is going to span probably the quietest week of the year, the bank holiday. If you've liked what you're watching, guess what you've got to do? Hit the like button, smash it. Go on, smash it right now. Go on. Or hit the share button. Thank you very much for watching. Goodbye.